And welcome to the Men Up Podcast. My name is Christian Shabu. I'm George Black. And it is so great to have y'all with us uh, for this episode in September. We are already in the middle of September, George. It's crazy to think that already. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I feel about it. It's, 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 things are moving fast. Things are a little, moving a little too fast for me right now. A little too fast. A little too fast. All right, I get that sometimes. Things yeah, move a little yeah, too yeah. fast. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Well, things are moving fast here with Men Up. Obviously, we have our leadership meeting coming up towards the end of September. We'll also be launching our website officially, mm-hmm. themenup.com. You can check it out now, although we're doing some fun stuff around the official launch. And of course, listen to this podcast. You can find it on Apple Podcast. You can also find it on the website as well. Please, please, please remember to like, share, comment, rate. Um, yeah, shows people the work we're doing, tells us how we're doing so that we can better our, our work and it, and it makes us uh, reachable to other people who may not have seen us. So let's continue to promote and make this great. So George, this week, like every week, one of the things we do is on Tuesday nights, you and I get together to do men up work. And so you and I sat down and typically we like, we just get right to work. But this Tuesday, we actually got into some conversation uh, because I, I, I came in hot. I came in hot around a topic. Yeah, 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 yep, yep, you was feeling it, you was feeling it. I was. What was you feeling, Christian? So here's the thing, and this is a place where my growth uh, is still happening, right? I have a long way to grow in in my relationship uh, with my mom. It is a relationship that's one of the strongest that I have in my life, and it is one that needs to continue to grow, mm. right? And so one of the things I came in talking to you about is I just got off the phone with my mom, which is pretty typical because I talked to her once in the morning, once in the evening, and was frustrated, mm-hmm. right? And I think where that frustration came from, quite honestly, was from a place of, as I continue to get older, as she continues to get older, and it's just the two of us, right? I'm always in this state of mind where I'm thinking about how am I gonna take care of her, mm-hmm. right? And that's been a question that's been on my mind since I was a teenager, right? It, it was as, as the product of a single mother home, of, of being very clear early on that like her and I are a team and like that's gonna always be a team. Like I think about it as she gets older, how am I gonna take care of her? And I was frustrated in that moment because I felt like she wasn't necessarily doing the things to take care uh, of herself or, or, or telling me how can I take care of her. And so I came in really frustrated. Yeah, yeah. I, so I, I always, I gotta say, I wanna start by saying, I really always appreciate when I get to see frustrated Christian Shabu. Uh, it's just a, it's just a, it's a good feeling. It's a nice, nice change of pace because Christian is real control, right? Like, so it's, it was always good to be like, oh yeah, he feeling it. He feeling it right now. One of the things that I'm clear about is just like the, the nuance of the world, right? And specifically around uh, relationships with people. Um, I have a twin brother. If y'all didn't know, I have a twin brother. His name is Jeremy. God bless Jeremy. And he is not a very nuanced person, right? He, um, he, the world is very black and white to Jeremy. And um, oftentimes I ask him, like, what is, what is the thing that, like, this small shift, this a small thing that, like, if it changed, if it looked different in that situation, would, would, would make it better or feel different? Um, with, with your situation with your mom, what do you think? What do you think that is? So the thing that I often come back to, and, and came back to it in our conversation, which I always appreciate our conversations because they seem to always bring me back to what I know is true, even in the moments when I I don't acknowledge the truth, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And the truth is, is that 
my perspective should not be one where I'm thinking about, I need to take care of her, mm. right? She is a grown person. She is a grown woman. She took care of me for years, right? She has taken care of herself for many of years. The mindset should never be that I need to take care of her. It should be around how can I support her? And it's work that I need to continue to do, right? Because I, I think that sometimes that bleeds into other relationships I have, like this idea of like, I need to be able to take care of you or to take care of this. And really it's about like, how am I in conversation with myself and with her more importantly of like, how can I support you in whatever way you you want to live out your life, right? And, and so that's where I think the shift is for me. It's work that I have been doing, right? So it's not new, but it's also work that I need to continue to come back to. I feel like as men, we often feel like whether someone has access to or not, we often just feel like we have to be the answer or the source of the answer, right? And um, yeah, that small shift of, you know, how, how can I be the answer as opposed to, or, or when am I going to have to be the answer? Uh, and shifting that to just how, how can I continue to partner with my mom? That's the kind of shift that helps you get more sleep at night. It is. I'm trying to think, did I sleep better that night? I don't remember. <laughs> Maybe in the future I'll sleep better. <laughs> Right, 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 right. Well, I think one of the things we also want to do with the podcast here is is reflect on, we're talking about reflecting here, like in our own lives, right? But even reflecting on from week to week, the topics that we go over mm -hmm. in the podcast. So I was reminded of, you just brought up a few few moments ago, this idea of nuance, right? And, mm -hmm. and dealing with each situation with a certain level of nuance yeah. and knowing that no two situations are the same. Right, so I was thinking about our podcast from last week. We were talking about uh, Kevin Love and the state of mental health mm -hmm. in the NBA, and one of the things that came up as a here here's a way we can move forward, a path forward, which is not always connecting the professional actions of somebody with who they are personally, right? And so the idea we were drawing was just because Kevin Love might be dealing with some mental challenges, right? Like might be dealing with some stuff just because any athlete or any person is doesn't necessarily mean they can't do their job well or it has any indictment on who they are, mm -hmm. right? I mean, just given the way our society is set up, it's, that's such a, a powerful way to, to frame that, uh, especially because so many people identify so heavily with work. But I, I really, yeah, I really just think overall, we as a society, as people, have to do a much better job of realizing there's a whole person here, right? Like with a whole experience, with a whole mind and body, and I would argue a soul that like that exists and, and matters and is valuable apart from what they do, whether they're doing something well or not. And so uh, it's just a, a bigger conversation around how do we attribute value to people uh, even when they are not being who we think they should be or who they actually should be, right? Uh, how do we separate what people do? So the reason why this came up for me was I was listening to a podcast called Love It or Leave It, which is part of the Crooked Media family, launched Pod Save America, Pod Save the World. Shout out to them. Uh, some really great stuff, mm. politically based, but also pop culture based. Um, so also, if they ever want to come on the Men Up podcast, they can come on as well, anytime. We make all, we make all the shout outs. All the shout outs. We're all saying, about shout outs. Now act like y'all didn't see this. Come on through. So I was listening to this week's podcast and... One of the guests on the show, uh, shout out to Kara Brown, was talking about uh, this situation that's come up as a result of a movie coming out soon, which is a remake of a movie from the 80s, The Predator. Um, in the remake, which is being directed by Shane Black, 
there is a story about an actor is actually a registered sex offender, right? Um, was back in 2010, uh, 2009, 2010, was found out to be soliciting uh, a minor via online uh, and setting up a situation to sexually exploit that minor, right? And served six months in prison. Happens to also be a friend of Shane Black. And as such, Shane has given this person who is an actor uh, several bit parts in his most recent films, which include Iron Man 3, The Nice Guys, and the remake of this Predator movie, right? And it wasn't found out uh, by anybody until Olivia Munn pointed out uh, that this gentleman was a sex offender, right? And initially, Shane Black responded like, oh, well, he uh, explained to me back in the day that it was just a misunderstanding and that over the last several weeks, it's actually come out that like, no, in fact, it was not a misunderstanding. Like, this gentleman is a sex offender, right? And has been getting these parts simply because of his relation, his friendship with Shane Black in these movies, right? And so like, has done something terrible and yet has still been able to persist with his career even after doing that terrible thing, right? So that's where this came up with me, like where there needs to be nuance when we talk about the person and the profession, because in my opinion, like what this man has done personally actually should have an impact on what he gets to do professionally. It should affect where he goes, like who he's around, right? And yes, I do believe that it should affect to some degree, what he's allowed to do for work, right? Um, I'm not sure if one of the things that should affect is his ability to act, you know? And so it's just like, work in a school? Yes, <laughs> right? Um, you know, work as a camp counselor? Absolutely, right? Like, um, be an actor? Yeah, I, I, want, I just wonder, you know? And it goes back to, how. so how does this brother continue to... Like, when... It, at what point is he supposed to like be able to push forward? You know what I'm saying? Um, where does where does the permission or lack there like when does that happen for him? The way that this transpired was that Shane was okay with just the explanation from his friend of oh this was just a misunderstanding. Yeah. Right. And then it was only after the story broke that Olivia Munn brought this to life and then it became a news story that was like, oh, hold on. This, this guy's a registered sex offender and has been in these movies, right? And it was only after that that Shane Black checked into it and then made an apology. My challenge with this is that if we are in close proximity to, to folks and, and maybe we're helping them you know, whether it's in this situation, get a job or like push forward, whatever it is. I think we also be, need to be in a place of being critical of their actions, right? And not just giving them a pass simply because they are our friends or we are close to them. Yeah. It shouldn't, in my opinion, it shouldn't have been Shane Black as somebody who is a professional, who is a director, who hires and fires people. Like he should have been more critical of his friend. Like, oh, yeah. there's this sexual offense. I got to dig into this, not rather than. I'll just take your word. No, that's a really good point. And I think it bleeds into the distinction between like judgment and condemnation for me, right? Like <clears throat> like where condemnation feels really permanent, uh, but judgment is like, okay, given the scope of things, what is what is wise here, right? Um, and so I agree that like there should have been a little more research, but I wonder if that needs to be like this permanent condemnation. So we're actually going to dig into this a little more in today's episode, talking about the comeback as it relates to several gentlemen 
And this story involves Louis C.K. Now, this is a comedian that has been around now for about three decades, uh, has been really in the spotlight and has had a just unparalleled level of success over the last 15 years about. And it's a comedian that, quite frankly, uh, I have enjoyed over those years. Are you familiar with Louis C.K., George? I am familiar with Louis C.K. because of you. He is hilarious. I wouldn't have been able to tell you that that was Louis C.K. And then, you know, and specifically... His stuff tends to have what I consider to be like a, a uh, like a thoughtful tinge to it, right? Where it's like, oh, this like this is hilarious, and that that was a really good point, or that was a really true thing that he just said, right? Like, and we're laughing about it, but like that also holds holds a little weight. And so um, that's been my interaction with Louis C.K. Um, until until actually recently, right? So it's been noted that a lot of his content over the years has been content that, from a comedic standpoint, addresses bigger social issues like racism, sexism, a lot of the isms, right? But it was recently, as recent as November two thousand seventeen, that it came out that over over about the amount of time of about fifteen to twenty years, there had been several moments of some serious sexual misconduct, right? That actually came out to light. It was, in fact, uh, stories from six separate women that identified that uh, at different times Louis would uh, proposition them if he could masturbate in front of them, and that would happen, right? And and so this happened. Uh, the stories finally broke in November 2017, right around the same time that the Weinstein story broke, the Matt Lauer story broke, the Kevin Spacey story broke, all these stories, right? It, it sort of came to a head in that, in that short amount of time that all these stories came out. Uh, Louis made a recognition of this, released a statement, uh, and then had gone quiet, went quiet for about 10 months. Nobody heard anything, nobody saw him until recently. He actually made a surprise appearance at the Comedy Cellar in New York City, uh, which is a place that he frequents often. It's been the focus of uh, several of his shows, comedy specials and uh, actual scripted shows, mm -hmm. and made an appearance like comics often do, uh, unannounced and sort of last minute, uh, but that has struck a chord with many people. There have been some folks that have expressed excitement that Louis back because they enjoy his content, but there have been, at least from what I've seen in my personal opinion, far more folks that are wondering, it's only been 10 months and he's back. So there's the nature of what he did, right? Uh, which is a real thing. And so, yeah, masturbating in front of women sometimes without consent, right? Yeah, it, that's that's a big deal. And even in, if I may, even in the moments of there being consent, these women afterwards, and, and even Louis acknowledged it in his statement, was that it's a dynamic of power, right? He was a successful man in the entertainment industry. Yeah. Right, so it's like... How could they not consent, say, right? How, right? How, who, who gonna say, right, absolutely, absolutely, yep. So my initial thought was... Dang, man, I, I need you to not sully the smart things you say on stage and the powerful, important things that you say on stage and the commentary that you give with this crap, right? Because you know that this takes this takes oomph and power from some really important things that you've said, right? Some really important conversations that you started. And the fact that you, Louis C.K., are really able to have those type of conversations in spaces and with people that some people don't have access to, right? That's always going to be on your name now. And that, you know, people who would have listened to you at one point won't now. Um, and so, uh, for lack of a better term, I hope I hope he gets that. Like, I hope he understands that. That being said, 
my other thought was just like, yeah, like, so he, he was gone for 10 months and he came back to the comedy tour. And I guess my thought is like, he's a comedian. This is his job. This is his work, right? So if for 10 months he's not doing anything, that means for 10 months he's not making income. And you know, I know he's probably rich, but like on, only 10 months to me is like, how long, how long was it supposed to be? I think it's easy to get caught in the trap of how much time, mm -hmm. right? Typically when comedians, particularly comedians that have had the kind of level of success he has, other comedians will go to a place like the Comedy Cellar um, and they'll try out their material, right? It's where they, they try it out, they get the kinks out because they're preparing for something more. They're preparing Got for it. their next thing. And so maybe he wasn't, maybe he was just, you know, trying to get into the thing that he loved, right? But it could signal that he's preparing for a comeback, if you will, which is a, a topic we're going to get into in moments. But I think what's really frustrating about this, frankly, is if you look back at his statement that he made in November, the statement totally acknowledges him understanding what he did as wrong, him understanding that he was wielding incredible power, him understanding the extent of which his actions could have and probably did affect these women. But if you read that statement, never once does he say the words, I am sorry. Hmm. Yeah. There has been no apology. And in fact, at the end of his statement, he says he's going to like sit back now, reflect and listen. Great. That's what you said. But how much listening did you do over 10 months? And since then, you have made no acknowledgement of what happened in that listening, what you learned, or that you are even actually sorry for what you did. That's where I have a problem with, with this situation. Yeah, I get this. So, when I, yeah, I, I noticed the, the lack of a, an I apologize or I'm, I'm deeply sorry as well. And I can't help. Yeah, it's just wondering what that's about, but also just feeling like you... Even as a person who actually did these things, you get to do that, huh? Like you get to, like that's, I feel like that's power too, right? That you get to uh, make a response, right? It's, it's crazy that we don't even get to call it an apology because there was no apology in it, right? But like you get to make a response to what people have been saying about what you did. Uh, and you don't, you don't say I'm sorry, <laughs> right? That, that to me, that's a, that's a, a power dynamic too, right? That you feel like. I can acknowledge it, but I don't have to actually say that I'm sorry for it, right? Which then makes me think, are you sorry? Like, are you actually sorry? Which then makes me think, do you understand the magnitude of, of what you did? If you're, if you're going to sit back and listen and then come back, if, if after 10 months, like, I would love to hear what you learned. Like, you're still Louis C.K., right? You still have a platform to say really important things. And so you could really be using this time to share what you learned. Unless, of course, you didn't actually do much listening. From what I gather from reports and articles from folks that were in attendance there, they said that his, his content in his comedy was about similar things that he's often talking about. Racism, uh, the idea of waitresses' tips, parades, like things that he would typically make fun of and find ludicrous in, in the past. But again, there was no recognition at any time during his 15-minute set of anything that had transpired over the past. And I understand that 
there might be a desire to want to move forward and, and move past this and continue your career. But if you never actually fulfill on the thing you said you were going to and you never actually express apology yeah. for what you did, I just don't, I don't no, see I, why you should be able to move forward. No, I, I, now that I agree with. I agree with the fact that, yeah, you don't get to just move forward for the sake of yourself because this had a this had an effect that was greater than you, right? And you know that. Like you this was something that you propositioned women, you propositioned other people, right? So at the very least, there's an apology that needs to be given to these to these women. And maybe right? he did it individually, like we don't know. Right. There hasn't been follow up stories, at least to my knowledge, of them saying, Oh, he apologized to us individually, but certainly did not do it publicly. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So at the very least, right? But I also do think, yeah, there yeah, there's there needs to be an owning of it. From a larger context, it'd have been great if, like, after the ten months, he came back and was like, "Did a lot of thinking. I'm deeply sorry. That'd be great, right?" Clearly, that hasn't happened. But and listen, I'm not saying, and I don't think he should never be able to be a comedian again or pursue his his life. But I do think that there is an appropriate response to empowering not just himself and being able to move his career forward, but also empowering those folks that have been disempowered in the past by his actions, right? And, and the greater culture that's been disempowered by what he's done, right? And, and, and I think this has opened up a big conversation, right? And so some folks came to the defense of Louis C.K. Uh, one of them is a comedian that I really respect, uh, has been continuing to gain momentum. That's Michael Che from SNL. And Che went on a little bit of an Instagram, a response to an article written earlier in the week by a writer named Megan Garber at The Atlantic. Uh, The title of that article is Louis C.K. and the men who keep getting what they want. Mm -hmm. And so here's part of what Che was saying uh, on Instagram. Meaning he can be shamed, humiliated, lose millions of dollars, lose all of his projects, lose the respect of lots of his fans and peers and whatever else that comes with what he did. But since he can still do a comedy set for free at a 200 seat club a year later, it means he got off easy. That's how coveted fame is. He's making the assertion, I think, that this guy has already lost a lot, and so him getting up at a club where he was doing it for free, right? He wasn't making money off of it, and it's a small 200-person seat club, that, that, that he's already been punished by losing all of the other things. Right. And it brings up this idea of like shame. Shea brings up one of the first words he uses is shame, right? This idea of the difference between shame and guilt. Yeah, and and this is actually something that in recent years, my whole life, but like in recent years has been really important to me. First, I want to say I hear Shay. I do. I I wonder if the issue is that he continues to, it's okay for him to continue to be famous. He's still famous. He didn't stop being famous, you know? Or is the issue that in that fame, he continues to have the voice that he has had, right? The prominence, the the space to say things, right? But he's not going to not be famous. What he is going to continue to do is have a platform, right? And I think people are pushing up against that, that platform. But yeah, but just thinking about this idea of, of guilt and shame. Think about guilt. Guilt is the idea that we did something wrong let me feel bad about doing something wrong people acknowledge that we did something wrong we are punished for the wrong thing that we did all things that need to happen right like there are consequences to our actions punishment is a consequence of to action and, and that's important right a crucial piece to it 
which is a piece we don't often do, which which we need to continue to advocate for in other spaces, is restoration. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. And this is where this idea of shame comes in, right? Because with shame, there is no restoration. Shame is the idea that what you did makes you a bad person. So Louis C.K. masturbated in front of several women, right? Uh, and abused his power in that way, right? He did those things. He is guilty of those things, right? And that is a true thing. And there are multiple prices that he has paid for those things and will continue to pay, to be clear, right? And that he should. Shame is the idea that Louis C.K. is now fundamentally a bad person. And that I have a problem with that because, like you said, there's no, there's no restoration there, right? It's you just straight condemn somebody and now they have no chance to, to, to move forward in the eyes of, of the world. I just don't actually think anybody has the right, the power to say, this person is a bad person now. Like what you did makes you unworthy of X, unworthy of Y, unworthy of Z. We don't actually have the power to do that, right? But the other thing is, just as humans, I think it's important that we recognize that restoration is actually really important. <laughs> and, and it's not a door that we should close on anyone if we can help it, you know? Um, and I know there are really, really extreme situations, but for the most part, I feel like we have to we have to be able to hold people in the space of what you did was not okay, but like there is a sacredness about you as a person that is important to, to uphold. I think where it becomes challenging, and I think where, for me as somebody who is a, a big fan, of Louis C.K. for a number of years and really appreciated his his work as a comedian, but also as somebody who was being a provocateur of like some bigger social issues and bringing them to light, right? Was that one of the issues was misogyny and was patriarchy, right? And, and he would poke fun of these things as a way of of pushing the conversation forward on on these topics. At least that's what how it was seen. He seemed as somebody who was woke, right? Mm. And he made millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars off of that yeah. and it turns out that he was doing terrible disempowering hurtful things misogynistic things you know right. things abusing his power to other people to other women right and I, I think that that's where at least for me right as a fan the shame piece comes in right and why it might be hard for us like culturally to move forward with these situations and not always go to a place of shame right when when wrongdoing when individual people enact wrongdoing on us or on our community or on our society that that's why we move to shame i think there's a lot of people in the world who looked at louis myself included especially after you introduced him to me where i was like oh yeah he is kind of woke and I, I appreciate that about him right he does have a uh, an acknowledgement of things that are happening in the world and right speaks against speaks truth to power in a way that I think is really important. And it's just great because there are places where he's incredibly woke and there are places where he's not, right? There are places where he's incredibly knowledgeable and there are places where he's not. And it's not you're woke or you're not. It's just not. Like Louis C.K. is incredibly knowledgeable, incredibly uh, mindful of things in some places. And still is a person who has incredible power, especially as a, a white man in, in America, and, and may use that power in ways that aren't helpful. And both are true. Like we don't have to we don't have to say that because he did X, Y is not true, right? Like because he he made these horrible mistakes, that he also isn't someone who's incredibly knowledgeable and woke and right, like 
both both can be true. And that's where this this nuance comes in, man. We gotta and we have to leave room for that. It's when things become black and white that shame hits the shame happens, right? Guilt is like, oh, you did this thing, but other things are also true about you, specifically the fact that you are still a worth a human being worthy of love and belonging, right? Like you did this thing, that's true. And right, like there's a nuance there, right? Shame is no, like actually this thing you did makes you unworthy and makes you unlovable and makes you uh, yeah, like you don't deserve anything. Like whatever we say you don't deserve, you don't deserve. It's important that we're having these conversations, specifically with CK today, but having these conversations in general and that they are nuanced, right? Because yeah. there are signals that several of the men who committed sexual assault who were found out very publicly have signaled that they will be making some comebacks, whether that's Aziz Ansari, Matt Lauer, several other folks, right? And we need to have these conversations because I think to your point, you're right, is that each one of them is a different situation and a different case and we've got to have the conversation around it, right? And to your point that CK might still be woke, right? But it's not a capital W, right? It's lowercase. And it will never be a capital W. Like it just can't be because of the nature of what being human means. And so, yeah, I, that's that's true. That's a good way to put it. It's not a capital W. It's not it's not a penultimate, right? There was a section from the Megan Garber article that we referenced earlier. Again, check that out in The Atlantic. That I think she lays out why this is so challenging and ultimately like how to move forward in yeah. some ways, right? So she goes on to say, of course, Me Too comebacks are possible in the middle ground. Of course, notions of restorative justice which are nuanced and holistically empathetic and focus their energies on victims as well as perpetrators should be part of the calculus when it comes to conversations about forgiveness and responsibility and the long arc of a professional and moral career. What's less tenable though is the widespread notion that comebacks should be treated as all or nothing, black or white events. It, it says something both to CK, wait, specifically about this, to CK's responsibility as treating his comeback as something that is not a all or nothing, right? Like black and white event, right? It's not like a I was going and now I'm back, right? But it also says something about like how do we treat the fact that he was at the comedy club that night? You know, how do we interact with that? How do do we say, oh, he was at the comedy club, so he he came back, right? Or do we acknowledge that like maybe there's a process happening and we don't have all the answers, right? And how do we how do we interact with that process? I think that as we have these conversations, right, it's like one of the ways that we can we can move forward, right? Like that we can uh, address these things in helpful ways is acknowledging that when we're dealing with people, especially people, and, and I would I would even say especially people who have made like egregious wrongs, right, who have done things that were not okay, that we acknowledge that there is so much more to their story, and they are not just the thing they did. And we have to be able to leave space for that. We have to be able to operate with them in the nuance, right? Um, and it is in that way that we prioritize the restoration. And I want to be clear with folks as as we continue to have these conversations, right? As the co-founders of Men Up, we are by no means experts, mm. right? We are still trying to do this our very right. best and still messing up. And I think that it's worth noting that that both of us have grown up in a society that is very patriarchal. We have we have been surrounded by that in our media, in our lives. And so there are gonna be moments where we do things, where we that where we enact things or take action that is disempowering. We are not woke with a capital W. Correct. Right. Correct. And 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 so one, I think that there's a way that we can walk around the world, interact every day, in which we have a 
a bit of a heightened sense of, okay, what am I doing and saying, right? And it's not second guessing everything, but it's having an awareness that, that there are going to be moments where I do mess up, yeah. right? There are going to be moments where I do mess up and there could be zero conscious intent on my end, but that doesn't mean I didn't do it. Yeah. Right. And, and so I wanted to lay out, I think it's important for us, like lay out where we've messed up. Mm. Right. And so very recently with one of my coworkers, uh, we were out at an after party and uh, she asked me to, to watch her drink for a moment as she went to the restroom. Right. Mm. And I made this very like tongue in cheek joke, like over pronounced, like, Oh, um, I'm going to mess with your drink. Right. And she laughed at it. I laughed at it. Right. We spent the rest of the night like telling jokes to each other, like hanging out, all that sort of stuff. Right. Having a couple glasses of wine. Great. And as I'm on the train coming home, I'm just starting to understand. Like even in that moment, I was like, ah, that was, that was dumb. Why did I even say that? Like it was just a dumb one. It was just a dumb joke. It was just a bad joke. Right. And I had that feeling and I let it sort of go by the wayside, uh, during the evening at the bar. I just kept getting this nagging feeling like, man, that was just really dumb. And not just that it was dumb, it was hurtful. Mm. Even if she didn't respond in a hurtful way, right. that was hurtful and not productive. And so what did that mean? What did that mean for me? Well, it meant for the next day, like I had to apologize. I had to actually say, I am sorry. Yeah. And I had to acknowledge what I did. What was the specific action, right? And at least show some understanding of how it could have been hurtful. Right? I didn't know it was hurtful because she didn't respond in that way, but that doesn't matter if she didn't respond in that way. Like I knew it was hurtful. I had that sense. And so like I had to acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, I'm not going to say that I am the best, the penultimate at making apologies, but I think that that's, that's a decent formula for us to approach when we do mess up in these ways. Like one, being proactive with your apology, yeah. understanding that you messed up before somebody tells you that you messed up. Yeah. Right. Two is saying the words, I'm sorry. And three is understanding what the impact was. It makes me think about the fact that right, right, your intent was not the important thing. Right. It was the impact, even the potential impact. Right. Because it may not have necessarily been hurtful, um, but it could have been. And like you acknowledging that is really important. And this kind of goes back to the idea of like this, this, this idea of listening. Right. It's important to uh, to to sit in the silence. Right. To sit in the awkwardness. Right. To, to recognize that the truth of the matter is that sometimes what's important is listening or just being silent and letting what's being felt be felt and letting it feel strange and weird and letting it push up against our sensibilities and as men, letting it push up against our power and our privilege and the fact that that's not going to be comfortable, right? Um, but letting it do that and sitting in that and, and letting that process happen. And I think that that gets to the the whole debate about how much time is the right time, right? Ultimately, the time is not the thing we should be concerned about, right? It's about the process, yeah. right? I think the process is really important here. The process of, am I sitting in that awkwardness? When, I, when I've messed up, when I've done something wrong, when I've used, in this case, when I've used my power as a man to disempower somebody else, yeah. whether that's another man, a woman, a whole group of people, right. One, am I taking the time to actually sit back, listen, and sit in that awkwardness? Because it's there, right? Two, am I apologizing? Am I actually saying I'm sorry and acknowledging what I've done is wrong? 
right? Mm -hmm. And three is also understanding how am I going to move forward in a new way, right? I think if, if we can acknowledge those things rather than, oh, well, how much time did he serve, right? Like that's the language that always comes up with these situations. And it came up in a lot of the articles with Louis C.K. It was like, oh, well, he's served his time. How much time has he served? Like, I mean, that's problematic in the first place, right? That language is just really problematic. But again, like it's not about the length of time. It's mm -hmm. about the actual process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes me think of the word or the misconstrued definition of, of the word repentance. So you, you hear that a lot when you think of Christianity or church, right? And the idea is usually that there's like, you did something wrong and you repent, meaning you say you're sorry, you acknowledge it's wrong. That's actually not what repentance means. Repentance is actually, uh, it, it signifies a turning around. So you're facing one direction and you're going another. So it actually is more about the change of behavior. Repentance is not repentance unless you're actually behaving different from that point forward. How do you not just say a thing, but, but manifest it in your life moving forward? Well, we're gonna continue to do our best to manifest great things with this podcast. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Please like it. Please rate it. Please share it because we are trying to continue this conversation powerfully on redefining manhood and masculinity. Thank you all so much for joining us again. Continue to join us. We love when you all join us. Until next week, I'm George Black. And I'm Christian Shabu. And this has been the Men Up Podcast.